It was a long reading, but done really well. Everybody awake still? You're waving. That's good. Good. Please join me in prayer. God, we remember that in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with you. And the Word was you. We remember that in him was life. And that life was the light of all people. And we remember that the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness does not overcome it. And so we pray, God, show us your light. Show us the word made flesh in Christ. And show us this word that's been read. Help it shed light on our darkness. Help it expose the things that need exposed. And help it remind us of what it means to say we follow you. So come, Spirit, guide us in this time, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Us and them. Pretty much as soon as we can communicate as children, we figure out who's us and who's them. It actually is a really good thing in the beginning because you know that us is your family, and your parents, and them are strangers. Us children, them grown-ups. Us girls, them, ooh. As we get older, this gets a little bit more complicated. Us left-handed, them right-handed. Not really more complicated, but kinda had to throw it in there, sorry. Um, us, great taste in music. Them country music fans? <laughs> Us Man U supporters? Them lesser people, perhaps? Okay. Us American? Them Northern Irish? British Irish, depending on what they prefer. Us Protestant? Them Catholic? Us employed? Them on the dole? Us right, them wrong. How quickly we grow up and place ourselves in categories of us and them. From the very beginning, the early church tried to take natural sides to figure out who was us and who was them. They tried this first by speaking only to the Jews about the good news of Jesus. Then, the Spirit told them to get over their cultural and religious legalism through an encounter with Peter. Now, Peter had been spending time with uncircumcised people. Circumcised believers said that Peter, part of the us team, should know better than hanging out with those people, part of the them uncircumcised team. Didn't he know better? I love Peter's answer. He says that he was firmly in the us camp and totally agreed with them until something really weird happened. 
He saw a vision of a sheep that came down from heaven and all sorts of animals and was told by a voice from heaven, who we can assume is God, to kill and eat. Then, Peter has the audacity to remind the Lord his God about holiness codes, saying, By no means, Lord, nothing unclean has ever entered my mouth. Don't you just love it when people tell God what's right? Good one, Peter. Correct the Almighty, because God might just have gotten it wrong. What would God do without Peter? Well, God had not forgotten but saw that Peter was putting the practice of the law above the intention of the law, the letter of the law, above the spirit of the law. The voice from heaven responded to Peter, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. And then just in case that wasn't concrete enough, because this is Peter, the Spirit sent three men from the them camp and told Peter to go with them and to not make a distinction between them and us. Not make a distinction? That doesn't make sense at all. You can just hear the frustration of Peter's proudly circumcised companions. Not make a distinction? How will people know that we are the chosen ones? If everybody's special, then nobody's special. I really don't think that's what Jesus would have done. They did finally get on board and agreed that they didn't want to hinder God if God wanted the gospel to spread to Gentiles. So did they go on from this experience and preach the gospel to everybody, no matter what background they were from? Did they say that God was the God of the whole world and that this good news was for everyone? Let's see what comes next. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that took place over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, and they spoke the word to no one except Jews. Now that's not what they were supposed to do. But then we can understand it, I guess, because with persecution came the all-familiar us and them. The persecution of Stephen scared people, and they were scattered. So they stuck to their own. I think this is what we do. When we feel threatened, we shrink back into categories of us and them. But among them were a few people who believed that the Spirit wanted the gospel to go further, so they spoke to Hellenists as well. Hellenists were probably Greek-speaking Jews. And many early manuscripts of this passage also say Gentiles. So looking at the historical context and the documents, we can say that these men preached to both Gentiles and Jews. This was really out there. It turns out this is what the Spirit had planned, and so many of the Hellenists also came to faith. And it wasn't until this point, when the followers of Jesus were made up of different types of Jews and Gentiles, that they were first called Christians. They weren't Christians until they were diverse. 
They weren't the church, the body of Christ, until that body reflected variety. They weren't first called Christians by others until they were a group of people who wouldn't have been together otherwise. A group that broke social, cultural, and religious boundaries. They weren't Christians until they got past their us and them, at least for a little while. They weren't Christians until, like in last week's passage, they had circumcised the foreskin of their hearts and seen that there was more to chosenness than just following the law. So, what was the first thing they did with their new shiny title of Christians? Did they build a huge church so everybody would know who they were with walls big enough to keep them safe inside? Did they make, what would Jesus do, bracelets, t-shirts, bumper stickers, chariot stickers, maybe? Um, did they issue their stance on controversial issues of the day and let everybody know where they stood? Did they claim that they and Antioch were the only true Christians? Nope. They first of all listened to the Spirit and listened to prophets. The Spirit told them of a great famine that was coming and would affect everyone. So what did they do? Did they form a committee to organize the food they had within Antioch so that even if everybody else was disorganized enough to not have enough, they would survive? No. They discerned what each person was best able to give. And then they sent it away to believers in Judea. Their first act as Christians was listening to the Spirit, to see need around them, and serving with sacrificial generosity. Now this community wasn't perfect because they knew how to share everything in common the perfect way. They're actually, if we're looking for socialism, are much better models than this. See, if you look at chapter 5 of Acts, the couple who held back and didn't give everything, they were struck dead. Pretty harsh. I also don't think they were radical because they had more of the Holy Spirit than we have today. The Spirit's not a commodity we can tap into if we just pray the right way. Maybe... They weren't radical because of what they held in common. Maybe they were radical because of what they didn't. Maybe they were radical because they were diverse, because they didn't think the gospel was just for a select few who worshipped God exactly the way they did. They were radical because their first act as a diverse community of Christians was service. So what we learn from the early church is not how to take the model of a New Testament church and pluck it from its context and implant it in our own, um, minus the whole struck dead bit that we like to overlook. This is the idea that's pretty popular in the church, that if we could return to the glory days of the early church, to the one church, the one people, we would be so much closer to what Christ intended. Well, I don't think this version of the church ever existed. 
I think the church has always been and will always be a spirit-filled yet imperfect body of people trying to follow Jesus. I'm not even sure that denominations or differences in practice are the problem because the church was from its very beginning diverse. The problem is when that diversity is cheapened to us versus them. Exactly the thing Peter was warned about. So this idea of discovering the model of the New Testament church and adopting it today is something I just don't really buy. I think it would be like me in my, I am wearing heels, but in my, let's say 5-1 glory, saying, it is glory, isn't it? Saying, if I could just learn the method of slam dunking, I could be a basketball star. It's absurd. We work with what we're given. So I think what we learn from this radical community is less about method and model and more about the things that define the faith we claim. We learn that Christianity wasn't founded on the perfect model of community, but on a flawed picture of people trying to embody diversity and service. We learn that the spirit is not limited by the categories we place ourselves and others into, and that the spirit is just as present with the church today as it was in the beginning with the early church. And this is good news worth spreading. So I've been thinking about this word Christian, and I kind of wondered what people first thought of when they heard the word Christian. So of course I did the natural thing, and I asked people on Facebook. Um, if you don't know what Facebook is, it's a social networking kind of site. So I've asked friends, what is your first honest reaction to the word Christian? This is what I got in response. Three people responded with the word embarrassment, saying they were ashamed of the things that had been done under the banner of Christian. One friend wrote a saying of Gandhi, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. He's a minister. A few people responded with strong affirmations of faith, saying they were a Christian, and for them this meant salvation in Jesus Christ through faith. One person said it means a family that no matter how different we are, we can all be one in Christ. Another said that in the same way, the Bible was never meant to be used as a weapon. I feel the word Christian was never meant to be worn as a badge. To be a Christian is to live out the love of Jesus Christ in our daily lives, quietly and unassumingly, without fanfare and fanaticism. There was a mention of shame, fundamentalism, violence, narrow-mindedness, televangelists, and wariness. And there was a mention of faith, a tradition of love and forgiveness, Christ-like and nurturing, often in the same responses. What is clear in my little survey is that even among Christians, the word Christian is a loaded term one that brings hope and faith for some and fear and hurt 
for others. So what do you think of when you hear the word Christian? What does your neighbor think of? What do people who aren't Christian think of? If your reaction is positive, how can you share that joy with others? If your reaction is negative, how can you, in living out your faith, challenge that image of Christian? I think that as Christ followers, as Christians, we are part of the legacy of the early church. And it's time to reclaim the word Christian. But I think we have to do it carefully, aware of the strong and immediate feelings the word evokes in others. Because these feelings are the product of us versus them Christianity. I think that when we embody the diversity, discernment, and service of the early church in ways that are relevant today, we move closer to a renewed definition of the word Christian. So I have a challenge for you and for me to think about the ways we do Christianity in our lives. What does our worship, service, work, play, study, and home life say about Christianity? And what does it say about Christ? What hurts and evils inflicted by the name of Christian do we need to actively work to heal? What hope is there in the word Christian that we need to share with others? How can we move from us and them to we? I have some suggestions, but it's going to require discernment from you guys as well. I think this might look like building deeper friendships with people who practice Christianity differently than we do and learning from them. Maybe this looks like opening our eyes to the ways we naturally contribute to us and them, even within our own church, and challenging it. Maybe this looks like sacrificial generosity without expecting anything in return. Maybe this looks like not always having to be right. That's the hard one. May the Spirit who has gathered us into this one body of Christ, the Church, guide us in being a people who reflect the Christ of Christianity. Amen.